HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. First of all, we might as well give a shout out to Ben of Cookies Band since compliments were uh, being had here in the studio. And who do I have in the studio? But Julia Tertian and Cleo Brock Abraham of Weird and Ravenous. The Weird and Ravenous thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the epitome of that name, first of all. Where did it come from? It's such. An intriguing thing in and of itself. Our, we, um, it was how long ago? Like two years ago? Two years, yeah. Cleo and I have been very fortunate to go on a number of vacations to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> and when we're there, um, we just basically cook and eat the whole time. Pretty much. And uh, with um, playing some cards in between. And we were talking about, we met working together a really long time ago. And um, we were talking about figuring out ways to work together more and then all based around food. And then we were, it was like this fun conversation of what we would call ourselves. And then we were trying to describe um, who we are, I guess, individually and together. And we decided we're really just weird and ravenous. And <laughs> it's stuck. <laughs> and people, much, yeah. everyone except for my mother loves it. I know. So, I think it's great. But I think she's into I think it's great. She's coming, up, yeah, coming she's, around. Yeah. Martha's Vineyard. That, that's a wonderful place to kind of... To situate yourself, cook, and, and you know, ponder. Um, yes. Was it intentional, or do you guys have an attachment to that place? Mm, we've started going up there, I think, two, three or four years yeah, ago. Like um, my mom's friend has this little cabin uh, near Manemsha Pond, and um, we've just been trying to get up there as much as possible. And we love it. And we have a running joke about that 
being there, we sort of hate seeing people who just arrive like for the first time and have no attachment to the area because it's so special. But we only just started going in our adult <laughs> yeah, lives. Yeah, we like to think that we've been going there our whole lives. So we oh, yeah. do a lot it. of lying about I'm that way fake growing locals. up there. Yeah, I'm that way with northern Michigan. Um, okay, right. But they call you fudgies. If, if you live <laughs> oh. in another part of Michigan or the Midwest and come up there because uh, it's a big fudge community, fudge-making mm, huh. community. Um, yeah, so is that where Mario Batali has his? He yep. does Northport. Mm-hmm. I've I've not seen him up there, but I have seen his Crocs at the base of Sleeping Bear Dunes one time. <laughs> He's large. So like Mario was here. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, who else has giant like orange Crocs in Northern Michigan? And we're like, no way, that's Mario. And then the next day, he was on Good Morning America, being like, Sleeping Bear Dunes is my favorite place on earth. <laughs> oh my god. Like yes, it. yes, he is. Uh, he is rife yeah. up in Northern Michigan. <laughs> he Beautiful loves it place. there. Yeah. Well, I, the reason I, I think I was asking about Martha's Vineyard is because what you two try to do with Weird and Ravenous, as well as uh, Make Mondays Better, uh, one of the many projects underneath that website, um, is try to find a place, a time, and, and, and you know, uh, someone else, you know, a loved one or a community to cook for and make cooking a part of their lives in a way that it wasn't before, you know, uh, be it intrinsic or be it inherent, uh, it's a very, very important part of your lives and whoever else you bring in. Yes, this started it's a, it's a, a very eloquent way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this started a long, long time ago because yeah. I love the pictures you two have on the website. Oh, thanks. Playing towards grandparents. Oh, Tell me a little yeah. bit about uh, yeah. each oh, that picture. That was such a sweet thing because mm-hmm. um, there's a so the story behind the picture of me was, I don't know how old I was, like three or four or something. And no, um, you were eight. I was eight. Yes. <laughs> you were just clearly so eight. <laughs> Let's call it six. <laughs> and it changes every time you tell the story too. <laughs> and, but we've been, we've been going to the vineyard since we were three. Oh yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Since we were three. Yeah, yeah. We've been suffering um, there. Yeah. But anyway, I was a kid. I was a young kid in the picture. And I, um, the picture takes place in North Miami beach where my great grandmother used to live. And I was lucky to know her for a while before she passed away. And when, um, my brother and I, and also when my cousins, this is all my dad's side, when we would go visit, it was the rule that any kids visiting the great grandparents had to um, do some kind of like performance or put on a show. So my cousins, my brother, they all like sang their songs from camp or, you know, did some maybe juggled something or whatever their trick was. And I decided I would teach this group of like, I don't know, three or four of these like 85 year old women. Um, I would give them a cooking lesson <laughs> and I so thought great. it would be great to teach them how to make a fruit salad because <laughs> maybe they didn't know how. So or I forgot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that is, so the picture of me is, um, you know, being with my extended family cooking at a really young age and then giving a demonstration. And then, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> lifelong micromanager. Yeah. And then, um, when we wanted to put together our site, we thought, you know, like people were like, oh, you should put a picture of you guys. And okay. I was like, I'd rather put this one. Like, that's way more fun. And then all of a sudden, Cleo came up with this picture of her when she's about the same age um, baking at her grandmother's house. Right, so. which was always a special time for me, too. So it just felt really really fun in a different way to sort of do a biopic, so, so to speak. Why were you emphatic about food? I know food television was kind of in both of your lives, mm-hmm. whether or not just as a viewer or interacting with mm-hmm. it, but 
did you always want to go in food? Did you know from that four through eight year old self? I feel like I knew like before then, and I really just can't remember not being into cooking. Um, and I, and not just food, but also sort of food media. And um, I grew up with parents who were in the magazine business. And when I was really little, my favorite game was to play photo shoot <laughs> when I would take, for example, my fruit salad and I would <laughs> not precocious at all. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> and um and I would arrange it and I had this Polaroid camera that I loved and I would set up the whole thing and I had this like I remember this little lamp in my room and I would like move it so I could get the right light on it and um but I always loved food and anything um on television about food or written about food and I would fall asleep reading cookbooks and um, and that's been my whole life. There is not, I can't like go back to one point when it just all happened or came together. It's just always been my thread. And Cleo, am I wrong in saying via IMDB that you were <laughs> in oh, no. the babysitter's club? Oh no. Yes. Okay. Guilty. Well, I still get residuals. Really? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's I still awesome. get residuals for $7 sometimes, $15. <laughs> Which I always find, I mean, can you imagine how much Tom Hanks gets? I mean, yeah. Amazing. If I get $15 all these years later. But that's, that's, you know, there's arts and entertainment, there's culinary arts and entertainment. Um, but the performative aspect of what, you know, Julia was doing in front of her Octa Nigerians, or however you say that fancy yeah, 80 year old world. Getting paid big yeah. bucks. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you want to be in front of the camera? Did you want to be entertaining in that fashion? Yeah, it's definitely something that's, you know, I was a big theater nerd and it was something that I um, flirted with for a really long time. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, so it's one of those things that it's, in, it's ingrained. Yeah, it is. It's pretty much in your blood. Um, and so I. Definitely was something that was part of my growing up. Um, and then, of course, I was just always a complete lover of food. I've always said I've had, I have t- heightened taste buds, which I think is a condition. I'm not sure. It's, oh, an actual physical yeah, heightened taste bud. Exactly, where I can't actually get through a meal without mmm and <laughs> ah, and much to some of my friends' horror. Um, so, yeah, it's just something that I've, you know, I've always loved to eat, always. Um, I didn't really come into cooking until um, college when I started doing these big um, turkey dinners, uh, Thanksgiving dinners for um, all of our friends. And then, of course, I met Julia and we our shared love of food became such a big part of our friendship. And Well, let's talk about that instant. Let's talk about, you know, timed well with Thanksgiving, yeah. those turkey dinners and that felicitous moment where the two of you met it was a sunny day (laughs) (laughs) um we we were in martha's venue (laughs) where we go every summer um we're our grandparents (laughs) um where our grandparents founded it um my grandmother is martha Um, no, we met in uh, working in London, um, and uh, it was a very um, close working environment. Um, oh no, sorry, actually, we, sorry, we did not meet in London. We met before that. We met in um, one summer working in Amagansett, and um, I was on a big workout kick that summer, so um, I was a uh, 
I was um, in my workout clothes, and Julia came in to start cooking for a week that summer. And for some reason, I thought Julia was like 10 or 15 years older than me. <laughs> and then I said, oh, what year did you graduate from college? And she, she said, oh, seven. I said, oh, yeah, me too. Okay, cool. And then we just, we kind of, I don't know, I don't remember, kind of like the way you said you don't remember a time and you don't, I don't remember... Yeah. We didn't have an in-between getting no, to like, know you phase. There was no meeting Cleo and then figuring out, like, a long time later, like, oh, I've got this great best friend. It was just like... Yeah, we oh, became best we friends pretty instantaneously. Yeah, and the um, circumstances of us working together, we were both working for the same person, and Cleo was working um, on a website, and I was working on a book, and, um, and it involved a lot of... Uh, traveling and being together in different places and so I think um, you know it was sort of the kind of moment where for our working and our personal relationship it was kind of like sink or swim because you're going to spend all this time together (laughs) yeah exactly you better love that person (laughs) luckily we did and uh, yeah no and that was that and um, And a lot of time at Whole Foods yeah if you can get through Whole Foods it's sort of like Ikea around the world if you can get through like you know Whole Foods or Ikea with someone then you're good. Yeah. <laughs> but we, um, being in these different places and working on all these different projects at the same time, I think, uh, you know, cooking was this really great way for us to, um, like, spend time with each other, not working and um, just relaxing. And then also a great way to, um, in, like, in London, Cleo's boyfriend is British and had this, like, wonderful group of friends there. And, like, we could invite them over. And um, One of my favorite meals we did in London was um, we decided... Uh, we should do a sort of a, a challenge, uh, a cooking challenge for ourselves. And we decided we would try to do the whole dinner for how many people? Eight people? Yeah, it was a pretty big group. Something for like under that. 20 pounds. Which was like, maybe like... $30. Yeah. Um, we did it. We made and we totally did it. Amazing and Brazilian... Beer included. Yeah, beer yeah. included. <laughs> we did a um, delicious Brazilian feijoada with farofa and rice and and it was really it's also like it was a great way to like i think cooking in different places is a great way to get to know the places because we like we went just to the normal grocery store to get like black beans and all that kind of stuff but then we like found some cleo kept telling me about farofa which i had no idea what it was before then which is what is it i love farofa it's a toasted um it's a toasted flour um and it has just the best once you it, it kind of has this crunchy um, texture. It's almost like and seasoned so, breadcrumbs. Yeah, just, but it like is, a little it, finer. But much finer, yeah. And um, it's something that's always served with traditional Brazilian um, meat stew, which is what feijoada is. Um, so we and, like tracked down some like Brazilian restaurant yeah, and like did. bought like a little container from them. Mm-hmm. And so we're sort of like zigzagging around London getting Ooh, these and Brazilian we made, ingredients. Um, and my one of my favorite things, which is pau de queijo. Which are those cheese balls? Oh yes, yes. Which are delicious. We made them. Yeah. Did we? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that was a fun, and yeah. it was all for under thirty five dollars. Yeah. No, and it was great, and um, and it's just, I mean, yeah. I think cooking for people is the best way to invite them into your home, wherever that might be, or however temporary that space is, and um, and it's a good way to make it your home. And we were sort mm-hmm. of like in these funny working conditions of that often feels sort of transient yeah and, and so it was nice to just make it feel really like warm and yeah see mm-hmm. there there is where you first start seeing the ingenuity and yeah. production value of what mm-hmm. you do now yeah. mm-hmm. it's kind of a putting challenges forth upon yourself yeah. and the, the, those solutions because uh we'll, we'll come back after the break and talk about 
you know, the very charming, quirky ideas you have for Food 52 mm. and other outlets, but it's obviously, you know, they're collaborating, cooking yeah. together, and, you know, having fun. I mean, that, that, that's Always. the core of everything. And this linchpin, this person that you're talking about that you both work for, um, people do know who she is, and you can mention the name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to leave it hanging then. We we're come gonna, back. We're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Okay. First of all, now I'm worried that that's going to seem like we don't want to take This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We were just uh, talking about speech impediments and (laughs) such. And luckily we have Julia, who is a woman enough to pronounce this (laughs) name for us. So Cleo and I met, we were both working for Gwyneth Paltrow a while ago, and Cleo worked with her when she started Goop, and I worked with her in both of her cookbooks. So that's that's how we met. Yeah. My father's daughter. It's Uh, all good. mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it's a very specific lifestyle, both that collection as well as Goop. Um, what did you learn about being more curatorial of your work by dealing with those two projects? Um, you mean uh, about what part of the work? Well, how, how you take either a personality or you mm-hmm. know a, a subject and really refine that rather mm-hmm. than say, you know, I like this Brazilian food, I'm going to cook it. Like, how, how do you mm. bring in the reins? Right, okay. I mean, I feel like in all the work I do, including... Um, my experience working on those books, I think, I mean, food is such a huge topic and I, especially in writing, um, I feel like there shouldn't ever be a recipe in a cookbook that doesn't come from a really authentic place. And as, as we were just talking about, about Cleo and I sort of starting the work we do together based on like the meals we actually cook together and coming from this really real experience of something we enjoy. I feel like, um, in my experience working with a number of people on their books, you know, I don't want anything in a person's book that doesn't represent them and isn't really true to them. And, you know, a recipe should never fill space just yeah. because it like fits in the category. And it, um, and I was really lucky to work with 
Gwyneth on those books early on because I think all of the recipes are super true to her and especially her first book My Father's Daughters like it's a very nostalgic book and mm-hmm. there's great stories attached to everything and um and it's yeah those lessons about sort of curating I think have come through yeah and, and I think everything. she she remains very true to herself and what she puts out there and when I was working with Goop it was always we're only going to put out content that I really believe in. And I think that's a really good lesson that has carried us through too in our own work. And um, I think, yeah, authenticity and making sure that even if it's something that you're doing your own take on, that you say that and you don't have to be the world's expert in, you know, French cuisine. It's your own and personal take on it. And you might not be, you know. Yeah, I've always thought it's interesting that you can't copyright a recipe. So it's, you know, it's like... You know, a thousand cookbooks are telling you how to make like whatever spaghetti with tomato sauce, and it's mm-hmm. like you're not going to figure out who like invented that or take credit for it. It's like something we all love for a really good reason because it's like delicious. So it's just whatever. And your it's also always is. a little different every yeah. time. Yeah, that is a really interesting point yeah. because you can't even copyright uh, like a process exactly unless yeah. it's a no. manufactured process. Yeah. Which is a whole nother debate, right. yeah. or, you know, why it's an open sharing community mm-hmm. or should be in the, in the culinary yeah. world versus commercial food mm-hmm. world. But mm-hmm. we'll, we'll gloss over that and <laughs> jump back into uh, uh, collaboration mm-hmm. because, Julia, I know you're doing a couple other cookbooks, mm-hmm. um, uh, Bouvette with Jody Williams mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Um, how do you collaborate but keep your own voice? And this will lead into mm. how the two of you work together as well. Um. I mean, that's a really good question. I feel like my, uh, in that, it's weird because my work, I do like a number of different things. And when I try to sum it all up, it's it's hard to put one word to it. Um, So I feel like when I do that kind of work, which is working with other people in their books and um, and that can mean a number of things like developing and testing recipes or just sort of project managing or sometimes doing writing or, you know, whatever it might be. I think in terms of staying true to my voice it's interesting because it's usually about staying true to someone else's and making sure that they have whatever tools they need to accurately convey their voice and their story through their cookbook and so maybe it's spending time um in their kitchen with them and watching them cook which was like working on that with jody williams for the bouvette book was like one of the best experiences i've had just watching her cook and um you don't even have to be in the kitchen for that one you can just sit at the bar exactly (laughs) exactly yeah yeah her kitchen extends um and you know most of that for me is just like helping put people on a really good schedule um so that they can turn their books around on time and making sure that they have enough time and space to comfortably tell their so stories when the micromanaging <laughs> it's but it's so being you know involved with cookbooks as well it's so ultimately necessary oh, yeah. totally. and when there isn't a person like that on no it on unravels yeah. <laughs> absolutely um the fat radish mm-hmm. book as well yeah um now it comes to Word and Ravenous. Now, this is a point where you two get to have your own voice yeah, and get to yeah. express mm-hmm. your own ideas. And, you know, I was looking at a lot of the Food 52 uh, videos mm-hmm. that you guys do, and it's, it's very, you know, almost Bob Dylan, subterranean blues cue cards <laughs> with, with you know, th- this great flush of music. Um, but then there are things, you know, that are out of the ordinary. Uh, the kale and lukuma shake. Mm. Like lukuma, <laughs> and I, I, I find myself... I think like, we just love the word. We also spelled it wrong so many times. We had to do that one card yeah. which, so many which times. Mean, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you've like edited and uploaded that video, and then all of a sudden you realize, you realize. that <laughs> and you have to redo the whole thing. You're like, are you kidding me? All right, okay. 
Back everyone, to the yeah, yeah, everyone mm-hmm. knows Kale now, but mm-hmm. why should we know Lakuma? I think it's just fun to find, like you said, unexpected ingredients that people don't really know about, superfood, so to speak. Um, I think it draws a certain audience, um, a curious audience, and there's always you always want to sort of put things out there that people are go, huh, what's that? You know, we're we're always looking for the other weird and ravenous people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so and and those are you know it's a really healthy ingredient. It's full of lots of different vitamins and minerals, and um, you know it was time for lacuma to have its due. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What other ingredients wouldn't I know? Mm. This isn't a test on, on myself, Ooh. but it's just what what have you found? And you're like, wow, it's just it's just time to shine for for something like lacuma. I mean, this isn't um, this isn't a new ingredient. You probably know it, but I've just been recently obsessed with it because of a, our one of our best friends, Amelia. She was turning me on to Aleppo pepper. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not new, and but it's so good, mm-hmm. and I've literally been putting it on everything recently. You know, and I go to a pizza shop, and they have that stale, you know, Ugh. old, crappy, dried pepper. No. And if, if there was, you know, like Aleppo or yeah. like Urfa Bibir, other kinds of flavors brought in. Yeah. Or I'm just looking, I mean, we're at Roberta, so I'm just looking at the table now. Like, if you just heat it up with oil yeah. and, like, bring it back to life a little bit. Yeah. Like, Mm-hmm. doesn't take much but i'm trying to think of other fun ingredients well i mean just um, the concept of combinations mm-hmm. to the sweet potato uh, what is it coconut and mm-hmm. cinnamon yeah mm-hmm. i i'm i'm a big believer in just really smart combinations of food that aren't like to you know draw attention that isn't necessary or anything you know not any just combinations for shock value's sake but i think there's just so much stuff that you can do really simply, but by, you know, approaching it smartly and just combining if it's sweet potatoes with coconut oil, which is like, we were, that whole series for Food 52, we were trying to make um, really healthy food that wasn't, um, like, boring at all. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's, it's that those combinations, I think, really come into play when you're trying to smartly make vegetables that um, you want to be really yeah. flavorful. And are really satisfying. And, like, coconut oil is, like, such a great fat to cook yeah. with. And... I think especially in um, that was a fun one because we roasted those and then we sort of talked about all different ways you could use them. And so you can throw them onto a salad or you can just like add, you know, whether like coconut milk or stock and make a soup or um, I think we had a few other ideas and like eating them with oatmeal and stuff. And Mm -hmm. um, now I'm getting hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I think it's nice when you can do something really simply and then all of a sudden you realize how much variety you can get from one thing. And, you know, it doesn't have to be difficult at all. So you obviously cook together a lot, but mm-hmm. what do you cook for yourselves separately? Mm. Um, well, Cleo was just starting to tell me about what she made last night, which sounded so good. Last night I made um, I, I made ramen, which I never make, but I was having this total food sensory memory from when I was 13 years old, and uh, one of the this girl in my class was actually. Um, she was she she was Mexican, so she usually brought a lot of Mexican food. But she also would bring cup of noodles to school, and then heat it up in the microwave, but add a ton of lemon and hot sauce, 
and it was so delicious. I feel like you've talked about this for years. <laughs> it, it's, it's so good, and I had this. I, I was like, I need to make that. So I had ramen, but I actually it's like ramen michelada. It was mm-hmm. so. Yes. But you know what? It was. It's, it's a really interesting thing because you think of ramen as being this very Asian flavor, mm-hmm. but you kind of bring in this Mexican hot spiciness, citrus flavor, and it's. And I added some um, spinach and bok choy, so it wasn't exactly like I had it when I was thirteen. So but speaking of ingredients, yeah. do you know yuzu kosho? Well, yuzu, yuzu. What's yeah. the kosho is a pepper uh-huh. um, so it's uh-huh. like this citrus and pepper blend it, it's kind of like a paste that you put in oh, but I, I, use for, needs I use it for ramens every once in oh, a while because okay. you need a little yeah. bit of brightness yes. I love umami but yeah. I like acidity I'm yeah, a big too. fan of the lift at the end yeah like putting so acid much lemon or chili delicious. or yeah. both on anything well is, I will yeah. be incorporating it was I'm telling you my diet for sure and I feel like Julie is the queen of the egg yeah, anything with the an egg, egg on for it. one. <laughs> yeah, every leftover heated up with an egg on top, and I'm like so happy and hot sauce. Fried, on that. poached, anything, yeah. everything, <laughs> all of the above. Egg in a hole is mm. that's probably the one thing I do make like just for myself. And I started making that in London, and it's weird because mm. I think that's like a really homey thing that people it's always like oh my mom made that for me and like my mom never made that for me i started making it for myself when i was like 25 what is what is toad in a hole in london oh so toad in a hole is like where you like have sausages and then you pour over like that popover batter and then it um yeah you know i heard the funniest thing but this was just like egg in a hole like where you cut out the egg and fry it someone um actually ben from the fat radish we did a toad in the hole recipe in their book which won't be out for like another year, but we're just working on it. And um, he was saying, if when you put that in the oven, the whole point is that that really hot pan and the batter combine, and then that like burst of heat makes it puff up like immediately, and it's just like a popover. But if you put it in the oven and it doesn't do that, but it's like still totally edible, it's just like not impressive. Then you're supposed to call it frog in a bog. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny. you just come up with a new name, and then you're. Fine. I love it. I love that. <laughs> Reinvention. There you go. I love that. That's frog in a bottle. <laughs> so, I mean, something as simple as eggs um, mm-hmm. reminds me of what you guys are doing for Medium right now. Mm. And, um, you know, it's these, these short, prosy, poetic pieces about. Oh, that was quite the alliteration. <laughs> um, grilled cheese. Yeah. Something as. And how it sates a person, but how people interact with, you know, that subject. Can you tell me why grilled cheese was one of the many foci? Well, the yeah, the title for it came about, I mean, it's the series of interviewing families and just what their totally typical family dinner routine is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because when we would get in touch with people to do it, it was always like whatever you would normally be doing on whatever night yeah. we would go over Wednesday don't night. Don't make special, or, yeah, just... Don't yeah. dress up, don't, you know, none of that. And um, and so the one of the criteria for the families that we um, chose to interview was hopefully families who had young children just to give it some unifying factor. And um, so the name was just calling it grilled cheese, please. It's like what kids ask for when they don't want, you know, other foods. And it was actually really amazing to see that. But that whole, we interviewed 12 families and I thought it was like all those kids ate like the same as their parents. Yeah. It was was really really great to see. Unexpected. Mm -hmm. I think uh, in a lot of ways that, there wasn't a lot of catering to. We thought there were going to be a lot more picky eaters, but or like, on a whole, there would be more grilled cheese, and there wasn't. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe we just interviewed very, you know, cultivated. Yeah. Families, but what were no. some of the more surprising dishes you saw the mm. children eat? Well, that's a fun question. Um, 
The last one we did was uh, a great recipe for green pasta, which had a great sort of story behind mm-hmm. it, which is that she tells her kids that the incredible and the mother's Hulk, Peruvian, yeah, Peruvian, yeah. half Peruvian, half Chinese, mm-hmm. that the um, tells the kids that if they eat it, they'll grow big and strong like the Incredible Hulk, which always it's fun if you can which get if a gimmick listening in there. Is true, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, and it was sort of like a pesto but she added um a little bit of cream cheese and feta to make it um a little bit richer a little bit creamier um salty it was delicious and it was delicious and the kids love it and they have it once a week and i Mm. think that's another thing it's like once you get something down that kids love you can do it once or twice a week and they'll still you know they they don't care that much about variety and it's cool because i think we're at a point where we're like spending a lot of time thinking about things we love growing up and like the ramen that you had you know and it's it's fun to spend a little time with these families and visit them and watch them, you know, like these kids will probably make that when they're older and yeah. it'll, like remind them of home and all that. So it's really sweet. And so it seems like all the things you guys do underneath the titular weird and ravenous is to, to propagate these familiar experiences mm-hmm. that people can share with mm-hmm. one another based around food. Is is there an end goal? Are there other projects spawning off of weird and ravenous or to is take it take over the world? <laughs> It all starts here. Um, I think it's always been, it's, it's kind of to go back to what we were saying earlier about keeping work really sort of authentic and true to your story and everything. The work that Cleo and I have always done together has always been um, sort of stuff like on top of our day jobs, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's like never, you know, it's always going to be work that we do because we love it and not because we like have to do it. And I think for us, it's just been about finding like great stories and great people and, you know, and the recipes that come with all that. So, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's it. That's that dead air that we love here. The goal is to take over Martha's Vineyard. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And I will continue reading all your explorations and food and family. Um, But there's one thing I kind of ask of the two of you, you know, the way that you bring together a community, the, the the way that you have people cook together is a very interactive thing. You two are not shy people. <laughs> and not that you need social media to be out there, but I just wish more people knew about Weird and Ravenous. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to help that. Yeah, thank you. But I think what you're doing has to be something that needs to be both seen and heard. Um, we're terrible at social media. Yeah. <laughs> We're so bad. And we shouldn't be because yeah. we are the social media generation and well, we suck at it. It's, it's amazing. But when you see we don't someone even know what a Google Hangout with, is with such we talent tried. and humility, um, it is a great thing to see. But then, you know, sometimes you got to light the fire under the ass. And I hopefully I can do that a little for you. Thank because you. Okay. I really think yeah. everything you guys are doing are very necessary to share. Well, thank you. So, yeah. That means a lot. Thanks yeah. so much. Weird and Ravenous, Julie and Cleo, thank you so much for thank being you. on. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Open to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.